Turn with me this morning to Psalm 108. As uh, We've been going through a series in Lamentations, just started that the last couple of weeks, but as I noted in my uh, weekly bulletin email, um, I wanted a little more time to wrestle with chapter 2 there, and so I switched next week and this week with our, our Psalm of the Month for, um, for June, and so we'll be looking at uh, Psalm 108 this morning, and then return to uh, Lamentations next week, Lamentations chapter 2, the first 10 verses there. So listen as I read uh, Psalm 108. This is God's holy word. It says, A song, a psalm of David. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing, I will sing praises, even with my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above all the earth, that your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand, and answer me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will exalt, I will portion out Shechem, and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim also is the helmet of my head, Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe. Over Philistia I will shout aloud. Who will bring me into the besieged city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not yourself, O God, rejected us? And will you not go forth with our armies, O God? O give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is in vain. Through God we will do valiantly, and it is he who shall tread down our adversaries." Again, we've been recently uh, started going through the book of Lamentations, and that book gives uh, a formula, if you will, it uses a a formula that's very typical in the Psalter, uh, in the Psalms, of working through difficulty with faith. The the flow and the logic of Psalms that do that uh, typically is this, the the trouble and or the the fears, the lament are, are poured out at the beginning of the Psalm. And then the psalmist is reminded of the character and the promises of God and, and turns again to hope and trust and praise uh, at the end of the psalm. Um, psalm 22 would be just one among many examples of that. It begins, why, O God, have you forsaken me? And then it ends in, in great anthems of praise. Uh, well, this psalm, Psalm 108, has, has that flow and logic inverted, uh, turned on its head. Um, it begins with great praise, and then rehearsing the promises of God. Uh, and then at the end, it comes to the great trouble and uncertainty and pleading with God. And, and I think it's a, a good example to us that sometimes we need one approach and sometimes we need the other. Sometimes we need to, we, we pour out our troubles to the Lord first and we're reminded of who he is and, and we come to, to uh, trust him more and to, and to praise him in our prayers. And other times, we need, we need to begin with affirmations of who God is and praising him and then bring our requests to him uh, in, in that context. And David shows us, I think, we have, that, that both of those models have a valid place in our communion with God. Um, <clears throat> the circumstance of this psalm is evidently that David is facing uh, battle with Edom, uh, maybe already ongoing. Um, Edom was long the enemy of Israel, and uh, the true God, sometimes they were that 
uh, in that they were a temptation to idolatry and apostasy. Other times they were the enemy in that they were just a, a brutal enemy of war of Israel. Um, and David is tasked to lead all of Israel in this. And, and so uh, David mentions briefly his need for deliverance, you'll see in verse 6, but then he comes back at the end to describe it. And it, it sounds like he feels that God has abandoned him in this. That, that's how dire it is. And he's calling out for God's leading and God's strength. Uh, but despite that, that daunting and probably terrifying circumstance, uh, David resolves to begin with praise. And begin by rehearsing what he knows is true. And so I want to put this psalm before you this morning at, at, at maybe some risk of sounding like I'm turning the psalm into a, a self-help mechanical method. Uh, but put it for, before you as, as a three-step uh, model for facing a difficult day, uh, facing a difficult situation um, in which you're unsure or fearful or feeling your own weakness or inadequacy. Here's how... Uh, Charles Spurgeon summarizes this psalm. He says, We have before us the warrior's morning song with which he adores his God and strengthens his heart before entering upon the conflicts of the day. And that, at least metaphorically, describes our reality every day. Right? We put on the armor of God and, and we get up and face um, all kinds of temptations and disappointments and difficult decisions and so on. Um, and though this isn't the only way to approach that, <clears throat> what David describes here, what David does here, uh, I think he gives us three steps, three stages by which to face the day with, with uh, joyful uh, and, and faithful faith uh, in God. Um, w- one other thing to note before we jump into your outline there is just this, this whole psalm, uniquely, uh, is pieced together from two other psalms. There's really nothing unique here um, in that uh, uh, the first passage is from Psalm 57, and then the rest of the psalm is from uh, Psalm 60. Um, and David wrote those psalms, and here he's brought them together uh, on, on another occasion, uh, it seems. <clears throat> also, uh, forgive my voice, I had uh, had a cold for a while, or allergies or something, and now I feel fine and my voice, voice is going. So bear with me with that, this may get worse. Uh, Number one in your outline, uh, then. Step one, praise God. David praises God. In the first five verses here, despite, again, this trouble that's on his mind, David breaks out in great praise to God. And so there's, there's three aspects of that that I want you to see here. <clears throat> the first, letter A, is that uh, it's praise to God with resolve. With resolve from his heart. Uh, verse one, my heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing, I will sing praises, even with my soul. Uh, my heart is steadfast. That is, I'm, I'm resolved to praise you, Lord. And the next line, uh, I will. I, I think both of those lines uh, imply that uh, strongly that that's not easy to do. This is why David is, is resolving uh, to praise God. I will praise God despite uh, all that's going on. It's not always what we feel like doing. And so David's resolving despite all that he has to complain about or be fearful about, uh, plead with God for. He says, even with my soul. And that, that word is uh, something of a synonym for the heart, uh, my inner, my, my deepest being, all that I am. Uh, Derek Kidner comments here, the singer is going to give his whole attention to his offering of praise. Uh, it, it's not just going to be perfunctory, uh, rote 
um, rehearsal of things about God, but from his heart. He's resolving to sincerely praise God. And then verse 2 goes along with this as well. Uh, Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. Uh, David says something like that elsewhere in the Psalters. In the Psalter. And, uh, basically, the idea is that this will be my first priority. I will awaken the dawn with my praises of God. It will be my first priority in the day. And, and what a good resolve that is for any of us. Before I think about myself and my problems, uh, I'll do what I was created to do. I'll give praise to God and orient myself towards him uh, in, in a new day. Secondly, letter B, uh, David's praise is even in the face of trouble. Even in the face of trouble. We look at verse 3. Where he says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Uh, in part, this is a resolve to publicly praise God. right? Uh, first within Israel, and then among the nations. And, and the nations represent those who hate David and his God and God's people. Um, and his truth. They, they represent really the trouble, the threat that, that David is bringing to God here, and yet he's resolving whatever happens, he will praise God, even, even in the face of those who don't want to hear that uh, and don't serve this God as well. Elsewhere in this altar, David makes clear his desire to uh, see the nations join him in that praise, to see them converted and become those who worship God as well. Uh, psalm 67 is a great example of that, um, asking throughout that psalm that the nations would come to worship God as well. Uh, Paul quotes statements like this from the psalms in Romans 15 uh, to point to the gospel going to the whole earth. And, and one point I, I wanted to make here is that uh, part of the fulfillment of David's resolve to praise God among the nations, even among the nations, um, and see them converted as he expresses elsewhere and see God's glory reflected over the whole earth, verse 5. Um, that was thousands of years away, uh, much of the fulfillment of that. Um, part of our submission to God's will and, and trust in him must be, um, and, and our trust that he is working all things for good and bringing fruit of our faithfulness. Um, much of that may be generations away or many years away or may, many thousands of miles away. Um, and yet it's no less glorifying to him. Uh, thirdly, letter C, David's praise is grounded in the character of God. It's grounded in the character of God. Uh, verse 4 begins, for, that is because, here, here's the answer for David's resolve to praise. This is why, for your loving kindness is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the skies. Your, your covenant love is so great. Your faithfulness is so Sure, Lord, how can I not praise you continuously? Your, your truth touches everything and everyone. And what I want you to see particularly is that he's, he's grounding his resolution to praise God in this very difficult circumstance. He's grounding that in, in, the, in the character of God himself. Um, it's not conditional on having his prayer answered and seeing things go the way he wants them to go. Uh, it's not based on what he sees in front of them, uh, in front of him. Uh, it's not even based here on what God has done for him in the past, which of course is a great reason to praise God. But here it's based simply in the character of God, his faithfulness. And verse 5, uh, he says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above the earth. He wants here, I think, his praise to actually reflect something of, of the infinite glory 
of God. The way that he praises God would reflect the glory of God. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, again, he, he paraphrases and then comments here. Let thy praise be according to the greatness of thy mercy. That, that's, that's the thought. And Spurgeon comments, Ah, if we were to measure our devotion thus, with what ardor we should sing. Um, we can think similarly about our worship and what our singing is like, what our praise is like. Does it reflect something of the glory of God? Um, all right, on to number two on your outlines then. Step two, recalling God's sovereignty and promises. This is what David turns to next. Look at verse seven, uh, where David says, God has spoken in his holiness. That is, David's about to quote God here. So, so everything from that statement through verse nine is David quoting God. This is the statement of God. Um, verses seven and nine, I will exalt, I will portion out Shechem, and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet of my head. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom I will throw my shoe. Over Philistia I will shout aloud. What, what do these things mean? All these place names and statements. Well, the summary of it is simply that God is laying claim uh, over everything and everyone. Uh, everywhere. God is laying claim to all of it. And in verses 7 and 8 represents all of Israel. So these places in verses 7 and 8, Shechem, Succoth, Manasseh, Ephraim, uh, this would be a way of saying north, south, east, west. The, these are, these are all, all directions uh, from, from Jerusalem. Uh, it would be sort of like if you, if you made a reference here, you'd say all the way up to Montana, down to Texas, you know, out to California and to the east coast. Uh, that's that's what David or God is saying. God, David is quoting God here. God knows and owns all of Israel, all of His people. And then verse eight is a reference to the Gentile nations around them, uh, Moab and Edom. The, the the idea is Moab may be wreaking havoc on on Israel and causing fear and and destruction and so on. But but God says they are mine. In fact, they're nothing more than a washbowl. Just like as a servant. Um, Edom, likewise. Edom is the, the particular focus when we come to verse 10. Uh, Edom may be doing likewise, causing great trouble and suffering. And yet God says Edom is like a, a corner or like a servant to whom I, I throw my shoes when I come home. They're, they're uh, lowly beneath me under my total control. And Philistia, even though God says, even though I haven't come fully and finally to judge Philistia yet, Philistia is under my complete command as well. And these are this isn't a, a direct quote that we have from somewhere else in the Bible that we know of God saying these exact things, but certainly these, this is this is the truth of God's word. It may be something He said uh, to David, but what other what other promises might David have in mind that we do know of from the scriptures here? Well, we could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 49, God's promises to Jacob's sons. About Judah, he said, the scepter, that is a symbol of rule, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to Shiloh, and to him shall be the obedience of the nations, of the Gentiles. Someone that was going to come from Judah, all the way back in Genesis 49, God said, um, who the entire world was going to serve and obey. 
We fast forward to 2 Samuel 7, where Nathan comes to David, and, and through Nathan, God gives David great promises. 2 Samuel 7, one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. Uh, there, God promises to David that he will establish his throne forever, that he will establish his house and, and his kingdom forever. And he promises a son that will come after David, certainly um, fulfilled in, in some measure in Solomon. But this son, God says, 2 Samuel 7, will be called the son of God. And he's going to rule forever over the whole earth. Can't be Solomon, ultimately. All of this anticipates the Messiah. It anticipates King Jesus. And David understood about that. He, he wrote and he sang about that king in the Psalms. For example, we started Psalm 72 already this morning. We'll, we'll, we'll finish it here in a little bit. Psalm 72 speaks about the king and is asking God's blessing on the king. And it could be a blessing in, in part for David or for Solomon. But it's, it speaks about a king and a kingdom that lasts forever. To, that, that all the nations call him blessed. And a king who provides perfect peace and prosperity for the entire earth. And, and the New Testament, of course, quotes Psalm 72 and tells us we should understand it speaking of Jesus. And so if that was David's confidence, if he could reassure himself in this morning of battle that uh, with the promises of God and his sovereignty over the nations, how much more can we do that? Can we be reassured? We, we've known Jesus coming. Uh, you know Jesus is reigning. You know who he is. You know his claims over the nations. The Father has given him the name that's above every name. And set him in authority over all rulers and principalities and authorities. And to him every knee shall bow. That's a significant thing for David to confess here because not only because he didn't know the person of Jesus yet, but because he didn't see the evidence of these things. He didn't see what God was saying. I, I, I've perfectly measured out Israel. Or, or Edom is my washbowl. Um, Manasseh and Shechem and Ephraim, the, Israel, the church for David, uh, was, was not always loyal to God or to David. There was division among them and fighting and idolatry and so on. In, in the world at large, Moab and Edom were constantly threatening to destroy Israel or to, or to drag them into idolatry and apostasy. Well, we live in that same world, right? We need the same rehearsal of God's promises and, and remembrance of his sovereignty. We look at the church and we can have parallel concerns and sadness in looking at the church in the world. Seeing unfaithfulness and division and capitulation to the world around. And yet Jesus has measured his church. He knows it perfectly. As he says in the New Testament, he's not lost one that the Father has given to him. Um, the Bible and, and all of church history is a story of God's faithfulness to his church and through his church. Chastening them, pr pruning them, healing them, despite many, many faults. We look at the society or the world around us. We have similar fears. And yet, what do we confess when we sing this psalm with David? We confess something like the Lord Jesus rules over the United States. Whatever its attitude towards him. Um, its president, its cabinet, its supreme court, its governors, its, its mayors, its health officials, its code enforcers and dog catchers and everyone in between, and all of its citizens are his servants. 
right? It's massive corporations, Wall Street. It's waving grain and, and purple mountains, majesties and rivers and trees and everything. It's all his washbowl, so to speak. Jesus throws his shoe on Canada and China and North Korea and, and Mexico. We sang Psalm 2 earlier, which describes the nations plotting and raging against the true God. And God laughs at them. And God says, I have set my king to reign. In other words, there's, there's no trouble from God's point of view. Nothing threatens his ultimate plan. Now, Charles Spurgeon has this, I think, powerful comment here in this psalm. He says, we ought never to fear those who are defending the wrong side. For since God is not with them, their wisdom is folly, their strength is weakness, and their glory is their shame. He says, we think too much of God's foes and talk of them with too much respect. Of course, he doesn't mean that in a way that contradicts Jesus' command to love our enemies. He's saying we we fear them. Our our fear is directed in the wrong direction rather than toward the Lord. We can apply this also to personal problems and troubles. Christ is king over your health struggles or parenting or marriage struggles or your work. He's promised to be glorified in everything and, and to work all things for good. David prays as if these things are already already true, already realized. So sure is, is God's word. And you can pray that way as well. You can pray for your children because they do belong to the Lord. You can pray for our nation Jesus is king over it. Uh, whether by blessing or, or judgment, he will receive the glory. You can pray, for example, for, for uh, missionaries in foreign countries. They, they serve in places that Jesus owns. Um, well, David then finally comes to his problem and his request. So looking at number three, step three. David puts before us is pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart to God. He does this in verse 10 and 11. Who will bring me into the besieged city? We don't know exactly what the circumstances were, but again, there's a battle ahead. There's some dire need. Who will lead me into Edom? Have not you yourself, O God, rejected us? And will you not go forth with our armies, O God? There, There are two things David seems to be Uh, implying here, indicating about his situation. First is that things look bleak already. Um, It it feels like God is not with them, has abandoned them, um, is not defending his people and opposing evil, and so he's calling God to act to fulfill his promises. And then secondly, in, in verse 10 particularly, it's not clear how this is going to work out. Who is going to lead us? How how is this going to work, Lord? How are we going to get through this? What's the way forward? And many of our prayers are probably similar to that. And David pleads in verse 12, Oh, give us help against the adversary. And then in the last, last several lines here, there are three aspects to the way he closes his request of God. I, I think these are things that flow out of the way that David began. He began in, in a time of dire need and, and fear and so on. He began with praising God for his sovereignty. Rehearsing God's promises. And I I think that the the way he closes flows out of the way he began. Um, And so I'm going to look at at three aspects to how he closes his request here uh, that we can learn from. So make your requests first uh, with conviction of your own weakness. 
That's, that's one thing David is led to do here, having begun with God's sovereignty. Conviction of your own weakness. Verse 12, again, Oh, give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is in vain. Uh, the weaker you feel, the more uncertain you are of your own ability, uh, all the more you should turn to God, uh, as David does. Uh, David's learning, as, as Paul says in the New Testament, his strength is made perfect in weakness. That's how God works. We need to see and, and feel our frailty and our weakness and our inadequacy, our lack of wisdom in order to exalt God, in order to know and praise his sovereignty and his, his providence. We have to learn over and over again the lesson that deliverance by man is vain um, in order to pray and to praise as we ought. Uh, so much of our despair, our depression, our frustration in this life is, is rooted in hoping in and investing so much in ourselves, in our own expectations, in our own plans, in our own ability. Uh, and we need to be pulled away from that, uh, as David is here. Secondly, uh, beginning with praise of God's sovereignty and his promises uh, leads to anticipation of God receiving the glory in our requests. Anticipation of God receiving the glory. Uh, verse 13, uh, both the two lines begin, through God, and it is He. Through God, and it is He. It will ultimately be by the grace and the will of God. Not, not David's plans or his armies or his leadership. Uh, not that those aren't important. God won't use them. Uh, but the same is true for you. It won't ultimately be through doctors or careful budgets and big donations or skills or power or whatever the, the, the outward need is, uh, all glory must go to God who is sovereign over all of it. Uh, Matthew Henry closes his commentary on this psalm this way. Whatever we do, whatever we gain, God must have all the glory. Uh, that doesn't, of course, mean we're expecting God to give us all that we're asking for, exactly uh, what we're asking for. Uh, he will give us more than we ask, right? more than we can ask or think, um, and all that he has promised. Well, a final aspect then at, at the close of David's request that grows out of his beginning in praise to God uh, is energy and eagerness to act. Energy and eagerness to act. I'll quote Charles Spurgeon one more time here. He says, God's help shall inspire us to help ourselves. And he's commenting on verse 13, through God we will do valiantly. God's help shall inspire us to help ourselves. Faith is neither a coward nor a sluggard. She knows that God is with her and therefore she does valiantly. She knows that he will tread down her enemies and therefore she arises to tread them down in his name. So the, the fact that a, a sovereign and loving God is at work for his glory and for your good who is ordained whatsoever comes to pass uh, he rules over the nations. That doesn't kill our motivation. It doesn't lead us to just throw up our hands and say, well, God is in control. What, what can we do? It, it stokes it into flame. Our, our attitude in response ought not to be, Lord, I can't get up this morning. I'm too afraid. I'm too depressed. You, you're in charge anyways. What can I do? Our response should be, Lord, you, you are Lord of this trouble. You will be glorified through this. And so I will get out of bed and work at it and serve you with all my might in that confidence. The, the beginning of 
Uh, verse 13 uh, might as well read or be translated and it is in the ESV with God. With God we will do valiantly. Uh, which is a, a reminder that it's because God is with you. You have the Spirit of God. Uh, you're united to Christ. So all of this is worthy of remembering each morning as we get up to face a day. Maybe a very difficult day. I'm weak. I'm inadequate for this. Uh, but God is sovereign. He is the God of troubles. Uh, Edom is his washbowl. Whatever my trouble is, is his servant. And he will be glorified and perfectly caring for his people. And so I can serve with eagerness uh, and with joy. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, your uh, holy and perfect word here in Psalm 108. Thank you for your, your servant David and what we can learn from his uh, wrestling through this life and its fears and temptations and uh, bringing that together with your sovereignty uh, and praising your glory and, and trusting you. I pray that you would help us to do that more and more uh, as we learn this psalm in the coming month. Uh, help us to reflect on these things uh, and to grow in our resolve to praise you uh, even in the midst of, of difficult things. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.